Hello and welcome to Red's Business and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Barnes. And I'm your co-host, Nigel Hein. Today, we're sitting down with a special guest, a high-performance leadership coach, keynote speaker, ex-Olympian, entrepreneur, and author, Toby Jenkins. Toby, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. I'm out of breath now from that massive introduction. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jackson. Thanks, Nigel. Thanks for having me, guys. No problems at all. Mate, did you want to start with uh, your journey? So maybe um, just for the audience, people listening who have no idea who you are, mm. what you did in the 2004 Olympics, and then uh, give us the journey from then till now. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, 2004 was the Athens Olympics. Um, water polo was my game and loved it. It was, yeah, an incredible journey up to that point as well um, over a long period of time, basically from high school all the way through to Athens. Um, after Athens and even throughout that journey, I was studying um, at uni, doing commerce and tried to do science and ditched that in the end because it took up too much time. But ultimately, I've always been interested in technology and this whole thing called the internet had come along. Yep. And so in 2005, I started a company, a digital marketing company called Blue Eye Media um, with my business partner, Adam Franklin. And we ripped into this idea that, you know, the internet, geez, maybe it probably isn't going away. So let's just see how we go. Um, and at, the point, at that point in time, we kind of had – well, you know, job offers and that kind of thing and figured, well, we could either go and do an MBA and pay someone to teach us or we can go figure it out for ourselves. And so we took the ladder, nothing to lose, borrowed laptop sitting on the deck of the parents' um, houses and, you know, cold calling and door knocking and the yeah, full well. shebang. And then nice. realised that, uh, yeah, and then, you know, the internet obviously um, continued to grow, the platforms exploded, you know, the channels and all that kind of stuff arrived and, it was a fascinating journey. Mm. And so Blue Wire is still going now. Um, and so that's been like 18 years or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, in- incredible journey as an entrepreneur. And, and like, and I guess for me, if I think about the chapters, um, you know, as an athlete, it was really very much focused on how good could I be? Yes, I'm operating in a team, but how good could I be as an individual, whether that's strategically, um, tactically, health, fitness, um, psychology, all the above, how good could I be? And then how does that layer into the team? And then once I started the business, I, when I came back from Athens, to be honest, it was a pretty big transition. And I was really wondering what was going to fill the void of just like passion and drive and mm. intensity for... The vigorous training and hype and getting getting there, right? And absolutely. Then and then what now? Going all in, right? Yep. Um, to sort of chase this goal and you know ultimately I, I look back and I had probably two weeks of contentment post-Olympics and then it was like okay what's next yep and for me the business really rapidly took that over um, and I was like wow this is actually going to be deeper and harder and more challenging and a steeper learning curve than I'd ever expected yep um, and I was really excited by that and that was how Nigel and I sort of crossed paths in the early days of Blue Wire trying to figure out you know, what was business all about? Nigel's a couple of years ahead of us in terms of IT associates at the time, yeah, Nigel, I think. Good memory times, yeah. yeah. Um, here in Tawong as well, yeah, wasn't it? haven't moved far. No, <laughs> haven't. One <laughs> block or something. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that, that was an amazing journey. And um, so what, and really, so the yeah, so the part for that, sorry, for me was like how good could this team be then? 
yeah, so it went from sort of all about me to still me as a leader and um, developing me, but also as an organisation, how could I sort of mould and shape this organisation? How could we be the best team we could be? Um, and then over time, you know, Blue Eye went through a few different iterations. It kind of meant that most of our team was now distributed offshore um, and using agencies and all sorts of stuff globally, which was really exciting too. But I realised that I was missing the piece that I was most passionate about and that was, um, you know, that team development. You know, the, kind of at the time we were having weekly coaching conversations with staff, we were sort of following as much best practice as we could, Jim Collins, good to great, Liz Wiseman's multipliers, all these frameworks, Vern Harnish, all kinds of stuff, yep. um, which was super fun. And so then, so then you found out, Toby, just to pause you for a second there, mm. that you well, that, that's what you were, you were passionate about was building that high performing team. Yeah, and really like developing my people. Yeah. You know? um, and so that that really excited me. Um, but then when this business model sort of changed and we moved into online education and distributed team and stuff, it really changed the dynamics of the business. And um, around that same time. Or a couple of years later in 2016, my dad actually got sick and died from a brain tumour. Yeah. And that was one of those moments in time where it was like, look in the mirror, what's important? Who's important? Why am I doing this? And it really shook me up at the time. And so figuring my way through that transition, I guess, ultimately meant I'd resigned from Blue Wire um, because I sort of didn't have a home in my own business anymore. And then um, the transition out into, well, what was next? And Is that because you were so good at building a high-performing team <laughs> that you, <laughs> so you didn't need yourself? <laughs> Maybe. Got myself out of there. Yeah. Um, but no, it was more just the passion piece. Uh, the digital marketing had been an amazing journey, but I realised I wanted to double down on this people development path, path and was introduced to a framework called um, All Around the Science of Psychological Flexibility, which is all around how do you unlock performance for individuals um, align people with their own sense of values and purpose and goals and mission and um, help them work in situations of stress and pressure. And it really tied back into that performance kind of space that I had been in as an individual athlete, found myself in as a business owner at various points as well. And then, um, and so yeah, just decided that this was, this was my thing to go all in on. Um, and I'm the kind of guy who loves to go all in yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no, do things. Good yeah. to hear, Toby. I'm looking forward to getting some insights um, for the audience around that kind of building a high-performing sales team and developing individuals and you know, what works from like a culture point of view, apart from just generally uh, hearing your story. So let, let's start mm. with why did you go into the business investor founder kind of space after being a professional athlete? Pure interest. I, I'd always been interested in business, figured it was a vehicle and a skill set to learn like any other. Um, and I just thought, oh, well, let's have a go, you know. There was nothing to lose at the time, as I said, and, yeah, I just, I don't know, I, I was just really interested by it and the dynamics and the possibility, I guess, of creating something as an expression, really, of who I am, you know, creating an organisation that enabled me to have an impact that was bigger than I could have as an individual. Mm. And, yeah, and that was a exciting journey, and, Nigel, I'm sure you felt that too as a, you know, in terms of starting and leading these companies, right? Um, 100%, yeah. And look, I guess, Tobes, I'll say that, you know, when I met you through the Blue Wire journey, you know, you've always been passionate about bringing people together, right? So there was a, the internet transition, people needed websites, people needed technology, and it was finding, you know, you want to help people, right? So, mm. And 
that's the ethos of Red as well. Yeah, we want to make people's lives better through technology. So I think, you know, that's why we've stayed connected for, you know, like two decades and, um, you know, you're still, you know, kicking some great goals and hence uh, the reason that you're here on as, as a guest. So, yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fun to be here too. There's probably a lot of value insights we could get out of that kind of digital space, but uh, not while we got you in here. Let's, let's speak about <laughs> more the high-performing uh, leadership and then building a team and what you're doing now. So mm. let's start with how do you create a high-performing team culture? It starts with clarity and so where are we headed? And the best, one of the best resources on this I think is Jim Collins, um, Good to Great and his other book um, Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 and uh, in terms of, you know, that alignment, where are we headed and the clarity of what that looks like? One of the benefits of sport, like if I take the translation of my Olympic experience is that you know exactly when and where you're going to be if you make the team. You know what it looks like. I was standing outside the stadium in Sydney because I'd missed out on the team in Sydney and I said, I remember promising a mate of mine I'm going to be inside that stadium next time around. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of luck that comes and goes and chance and, you know, a lot of hard work and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately it's that clarity. You can adopt a vision and so it becomes really, um, you know, exactly what it looks like. But... In business, I think part of the challenge is to actually architect that vision, um, to get the buy-in of the people who are with you on that journey. And then to what I would describe as the relentless pursuit of the important. So what truly matters to us building out, you know, this vision, this direction, the impact we want to have, the contribution we want to make as an organisation and making sure that actions align with that end game. And so, and, and, and that applies both personally and in individuals. And I think this is a really big thing that probably gets missed in the translation of the sporting context into business, having been in both fields now, um, is that the, in a sporting context, an Olympic team, 90%, 95% of that time is spent developing the individual capacity of the player. The 5% then gets added to the team layer and, um, and of course, the team layer is a differentiator in a situation whereby the individual capacities are matched. But the reality is that n there is no one, there is no team in the Brisbane A-grade rugby union, for instance, that is going to beat the All Blacks regardless of team function or dysfunction metrics or cohesiveness or anything like that. So... The ability really for an organisation to develop its people, I think, is and align its people to the core of what truly matters strategically um, in terms of impact and purpose and, um, you know, how you measure your road to that as well. Um, so what are some ways that you, you, you've seen that's worked really well in terms of like getting the vision, the clear mm. um, you know, path you're going down or on what's important? But articulating that to, you know, mid-managers and then back to the individuals, like what are some methods that you've seen that will work really well? Yeah, look, I think um, co-creation of the vision. So often uh, and particularly in founder-led businesses or owner-led businesses, um, you know, the core understanding of the founder or the owner to know who they are and where they want to go is super important and, and to me, of everything, that's the biggest unlock for an organisation is clarity of the founder, the owner, the leader um, means that they can continual, continually realign the team on a day-to-day -day basis as opposed to sort of a, even a monthly, quarterly thing. It's really the ongoing kind of daily practice 
that really makes a difference. Um, and so breaking it down from where do I want to be? What does that look like? What is what are my key numbers? Jim Collins would call it, you know, your BHAG, your big hairy audacious goal. Um, and how do I break that down into what that looks like from an activity standpoint now today to make sure I'm making progress against that? And so it's, yeah, the, the things that I've seen work really well are, are the formation and the development of that vision. But almost all of the value lies in the relentless practice of realignment because um, you can wordsmith the hell out of purpose mission values but ultimately it's all just words on a wall unless it is used as decision making tools on a daily basis moment to moment to actually align teams and and individuals mm. to those outcomes you know and how do you reinforce that alignment and that uh, vision down to everyone in the business yeah look the the tools are sort of there's probably no shortage of tools and it's independent of tool. It's like if your style as a leader is to talk talk to it, talk to it. If your style is to write to it, write to it. If it's a Microsoft channel, Slack channel, email, like agnostic to the outcome, the only – sorry, agnostic to the tool, the only thing that matters though is daily practice. That's where all of the value gets created. Mm. It's not um, one-off events – which are inspiring and interesting and engaging and need to happen as well. But man, like how many times have we all seen organizations sort of go through a rebrand or, you know, a revisioning process and that's not where the value gets created. You know, it's super important work to do up front so everyone gets clear, but ultimately what are you doing day to day? How does this vision translate into your decision making here? Mm, that's a good insight because yeah, like, like, creating a vision once is, you know, needs to be done, but then yep. you've got to got to reinforce otherwise. Just that one workshop you did, or that one consultant you've got in to create it, you know, a sentence, right? Yeah. Um, yep. So that's that's some good insight. Let's roll back to um, what problems are you seeing uh, within the work you do on a daily basis now with leadership teams? I think. It's, it's both of those ends of the spectrum. So we have clarity. So where are we headed? H how well have you answered that? And how well have you engaged and included the team, particularly in like distributed workforces, right? Which is because that is something that has changed recently is people are now, you're just not getting the day-to-day um, -day interaction in remote workforces that we once had. Mm, um, water cooler talk. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, and the incidental sort of opportunities as a leader to sort of nudge people or, you know, nudge behavior. And so how do you get people to get the buy-in for the clarity? And then how do you just keep practicing? Like the, the, the daily practice. I mean, I don't want to keep banging on about it, but mm. I will because I think that is where the, where the money lies. Um, and as individuals, how aligned are we? to ourselves and what we choose to bring to an organisation. So I've got a uh, couple areas to pivot this to, but Nigel, did you want to ask any questions before? No, look, I, I think I'm sitting here and enjoying the listening to the commentary and I think, you know, probably the analogy I see you've gone through, Tobes, is that as a high-performing athlete, right, so it's rep rep repetition, continuing to do the same thing, refining, getting you know, better, better, better. Mm. And, you know, we see this with all business owners we talk to, I think, you know, they look for a bit of a, you know, the, the paracetamol, the, the quick solution. You the know? silver bullet, yeah. Exactly. And um, I think you've just reinforced, you know, part of you uh, being such a good leader and, you know, helping people in these journeys is just, you know, keeping them, holding them to account 
mm. that this is the end result. This is our BHAG. Mm. Um, so, yeah, what you just asked for about in terms of, you know, what do you see as the common challenges? You know, I guess if I'm a listener you know, mm. listening to us today, um, you know, probably keen to understand, you know, if I see this in my business, I'll look at something that, you know, I need to, you know, potentially talk to uh, Tobias about, like just trying to understand more about those, you know, um, challenges that tend to you know, continue to crop up and people always fall back to what they know, right? They don't mm. actually, you know, um, muscle memory, they go back to you know, the, the lowest common denominator, right? So just trying to alleviate that, really keen to understand, you know, what you're seeing and strategies around that. Yeah, look, I think the, the challenges that I'm sort of being engaged on at the moment are, you know, how do you, how do you engage a team? How do you help people drive their own sort of sense of autonomy and, in, and engagement personally and, and to turn extrinsic motivation into intrinsic motivation is the gold standard, right? Mm. And so how do you help people manage their own well-being, you know, particularly in remote environments and now obviously in Queensland and Australia, I think, is the um, legislated sort of awareness of um, mental health as well mm. and the responsibility of boards and stuff. Um, so... How do you help people work in these complex environments where there is stress and pressure and still make choices that move you um, towards where you want to be? And so, yeah, that that challenge of a remote workforce and then how do we make the most of in-person time is a really common one. Um, How do we help our people manage with the new degree of – or the different stresses and pressures now of – hybrid working how do we keep the comms up where once upon a time there was water cooler talk to your point jackson mm-hmm. um and how do we get really intentional around it and i think this is where once upon a time we could do things by default just by you know we were in in an office that's gone yeah you know see person in chair therefore doing job yeah that's how it used to be right yeah and now it, it requires intention and design and thought and that's hard you know, um, but if done well, you know, you, you build the competitive advantage, you build the team and the culture, you know, you, you know, I realise talent is a massive issue at the moment for just about every industry. So how do you retain and attract the best? What's yeah. some advice you've got around that piece, um, the uh, attracting and then retaining talent? I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, no, it's good. Um <laughs> Know who you are. So who are you? And, and I think this comes back to Jim Collins' work as well, which is who are you as, a, as an organisation? And how does that get reflected in the detail of um, your job ad, of your uh, hiring process, of your onboarding process, of your ongoing management process? Because unless you're walking your talk, why should someone stay? Mm. why should someone stay Mm. and um, I guess having seen also the cost to execs and leaders and even you know I guess even in my own personal experience like the founder as a founder even having to resign from my own business which was pretty tough going at the time um, the willingness to align and you know the discretionary effort the you know, the going the extra mile, all that kind of stuff is really unlocked by knowing who you are. What do you truly want? What are we truly trying to achieve as an organisation? 
And are we willing to translate that into – I was talking to a guy the other day, you know, the, you know, they, the company he was working with had a bunch of values um, and then a 27-page contract, employment contract. You know, the disconnect between values and the execution of a contract is critical mm. because it is – people will smell in a heartbeat whether or not you're walking your talk on your, cal- on your culture – and the people who are attracted to that kind of culture, it's not to say there is any one right culture, right? Um, it's just to say that you have your own, own it, know who you are, and then it will do a bunch of the work for you in terms of keeping the best, attracting the best. You know, ultimately everyone has a home and it may not be in your company. I'm a big believer in that. Um, but I've also seen the cost of people sticking it out in places where they aren't happy where they where they don't have that sense of alignment and mm. um, and people pay heavy prices for that emotionally, financially, um, relationship wise, health wise, and I think that's that's um, and that just seems to me like an absolute squandering of potential, yeah. you know, of you human like potential, the individual, but also the yeah the the business burden to go and re- replace that person as well and find the right person onboard a person mm. if they're the wrong fit to you know begin with or you haven't you promised the culture haven't got the culture that kind of thing so yeah, yeah completely understandable let's pivot a little bit to um, individuals say a scenario is you know a person trying to um, like a mid manager for example trying to grow and a one person how do you unlock the most potential out of that out of an individual yeah look I I actually I mean. The, the science is using this using an evidence base called psychological flexibility and ultimately um, it's kind of three things. One is the acknowledgement that life is not all rosy. Um, there's good times, there's bad times. In fact, they're inextricably linked. There's you know, trial and triumph, love and suffering, you know, however you want to frame it. Um, and if you take that as given, then how do you help someone work with the tough times? How do you help them stay focused even in the good times? Because, you know, confidence and excitement can be as much of a distraction as um, pessimism and, you know, you know, sort of negativity, right? Um, because if you're an investment banker and you're confident of your deal, my question to you is, is have you done your due diligence or have you just been duped by the CEO? If you're um, a, you know, excitement as a salesperson, are you listening or are you talking? The absolute performance behaviour is to listen, right? Ask questions, listen, help the, help the person understand their need and come back to you. Mm, find um, out problems, yeah, solve but, those problems. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So how do you go through the dis- discovery process and really enhance that curiosity and truly understand what they need as opposed to um, – so, so this whole myth of pursue, the relentless pursuit of confidence and happiness and all that kind of stuff is just a myth. It's absolute nonsense. And so the sooner we accept that, which is hard because that's the hardest bit, um, then we can practice mindfulness and being present. And often people sort of misconstrue mindfulness as sitting on a mountaintop, you know, in lotus position saying om to the universe. Um, (laughs) But mindfulness is not that. It's your ability to come back to the present and reconnect and then ultimately do what matters. So what matters here? What matters right now? And the interesting part of that too is that it's, really contextual so for one person the performance behavior is to listen for the other person it's to speak up and so you need to understand the person they need to understand themselves and you know quick 
here, here are six questions that I use to get people started, like give them a bit of momentum if they're feeling stuck or what have you. Um, question number one is uh, what are your values? And what I'd encourage any, any of the listeners or what have you to go through is just like literally put a 30-second clock on this, on each of these questions and then just bang out whatever comes first because having had hundreds of these conversations um, – the first thirty seconds is normally yeah. the honest, uh, the honest one. Yeah, it's your mm-hmm. intuition, so it's normally really close, eighty, ninety percent of the way there. You don't need to spend any more time, particularly if for individuals. Um, but what are your values? Who is important to you? What is important to you? What is your purpose? What would you willingly do for free? And what energizes you? Mm. Okay. And if you spend three minutes on that. And even as a manager managing someone else, if you ask, you know, your direct report or what have you, what are your answers to those questions? What you'll f- pull out is not – you're not looking for definitive answers. You're actually looking for the threads, the stuff that truly matters to this person, the stuff that may help them unlock their own intrinsic motivation, how they might align. And what you've done then in asking those questions is help them bring to the surface and make conscious choices around what truly matters as opposed to – the reality is in, in an organisation, um, how I show up and how I connect what matters to me to the organisation, that is alignment. So mm. the organisation bang on about OKRs or, you know, pick your framework, any framework, yep. goals, BHAGs, it doesn't really matter. Bang on about that stuff is, is one, you know, it's necessary to have clarity, but if you can help someone like really connect to what matters to them, and then help them see how what matters to them is in alignment with what you're trying to do as an organisation. That's great advice. Finding out what is important to them and then see where they're at and see if they actually know where they're going and if that does align to you know what the business needs uh, as well, yeah. right? So that's good advice. I didn't prep you for this question, I don't know, but I think you're going to be a good spot to answer this. Uh, again, <laughs> <laughs> self-awareness is probably something that, that's like big these days, I think. People just being aware of like what is in their skill set, what's not in their skill set, what should they do, what should they not do, what they take on board, for example. How do you teach self-awareness? Great question. Mm. <laughs> um Look, the, the, I guess there's a lot of different aspects to that, but going through those six questions is one way to begin a journey around what truly matters to me. Um, so that's one piece. Mm. Um, the other um, tool that I have, and you know, you can download it on my website if you're interested, um, is a tool called the Valued Living Questionnaire, which is a super simple. It's a scientifically validated. Um, Test by, uh, um, I'll find that. That's right. I'll find it and, and send you the link to it <laughs> yep. anyway. But Scientifically validated by Toby Jenkins. Yes, um, it's not by me. It's someone else. Um, They'll have to go to your website and find out. So that's oh, cool. Perfect. There you go. Um, but if you download this, the Valued Living Questionnaire or, or my whole toolkit, because it comes with a bunch of other stuff, but that one is a way of really quickly assessing what, what matters to you, how, how important is something at a given time. So it could be anything from... Family, you know, your personal relationships, parenting, health, um, spirituality. There's sort of a bunch of domains. And very quickly I see my clients sort of go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd rate that as this. And then the next question is how satisfied are you with it? On a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with um, your actions in this space at the moment? And what happens is that um, you quickly dissect – 
a the context for someone to say, okay, well, okay, family is important, health is important, work is important. Okay, if you're, as I found myself actually in in my transition, um, out of Blue Wire, I was actually I did a run through. Dad had died. I was looking in the mirror, which is always the hardest place to look, and work was nine out of ten in importance and satisfaction was two out of 10. And so as opposed to a generalized sense of frustration, what the hell is going on? It was like, oh, I now have, a, I now have specificity and bra- our brains love specificity mm. and certainty and now I can do something about it. Yeah. Whereas the, the am- ambiguity is the enemy you know, because it's uncertain, we don't know what's happening, there's so much going on and Ultimately, you know, this boils down to a lot of the performance stuff that I talk in one-on-one and, and group settings as well. But we cannot control, you know, we have somewhere between, we have thousands of cognitions a day. So thoughts, emotions, sensations, memories, all this stuff shows up. You know, imagery comes up to mind all the time, right? Um, we cannot control it all. And this has, been, this has been the myth that has been sold to us, I think, is this idea of positive thinking and always being positive and all this sort of stuff. And it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And if you quickly dissect, you know, even a period of your life, you'll know that you get both. You get, you know, the great stuff, the bad stuff, trial and triumph, as we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can't control those thousands of cognitions, then how do we actually, um, what, what can we do? We can't, we can't control our reaction, emotions, thoughts, sensations, whatever, to a particular situation. All we can do is choose our response. And so between reaction and response is mindfulness actually, is the, to your point, the self-awareness, Jackson, uh, mm-hmm. to know that I am experiencing anxiety. I'm experiencing excitement. I'm experiencing, oh, here are my thoughts. I'm, I'm not good enough or, you know, fraudulency shows up or whatever it is, right? Everyone has their own brand and that is the other part is that it's an absolute certainty that everyone has their own brand of suffering. Mm. Um, it's, I, there's this point in my workshops where I ask, you know, people to answer what are the tough thoughts, what are the tough feelings, what are the tough sensations, where do you feel them in your body and in groups of, you know, 60, 100, whatever, you know, everyone – Anyone here not get any answers for those? For challenging situations, does anyone not get any answers for those things? There's not a soul in the room who's doesn't, who sticks up their hand, you know? Because everyone has it. Mm. Everyone. And I've seen behind some pretty amazing trophy cabinets and like this, the, un, the willingness to acknowledge your own in the first instance and then to acknowledge that in others is how you just – like that's where empathy lies, it's where the humanity lies, it's where like really connecting to what matters and if we're willing to accept it for ourselves or at least begin to work with it, then we can start to take steps right now that lead us towards, you know, not just the impact we want to have, the contribution we want to make, the outcomes, the results, the goals, you know, the person we want to be, you know, that's what, that's what really matters, you know, and, mm. and living all of that as best we can. Yeah, so as, as long as but good answer. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a good very answer. Yeah. Um, no, do you want to ask a question before? No. Yeah, so I, I wanted to pick your brain on um, like psychometric testing for mm. like teams and individuals. Um, not sure if that's something that you do as part of, I guess, your like uh, speaking and workshops you would do. But do, what what recommendations do you have for businesses who? Not that they have a culture problem, but they want to improve their culture within a business. Would you recommend they do psychometric testing? For individuals, teams, what frameworks, and how often? Mm. 
Um, look, there are some – I don't know a lot about psychometrics, to be honest. Um, so there are probably people better placed than me to respond to that. But my understanding is that there are definitely psychometrics that can predict things like safety behaviours and um, whether someone is going to be, you know, more safe than another person and some really interesting stuff out there. The personality stuff is challenging because ultimately personality basically gets fixed when we're seven or eight. Um, so there's not much we can do to change personality barring major trauma. And so if that is the case, then what I often see is that personality profiling becomes an excuse for poor behaviour. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and so, oh, I'm a dominant. Oh, well, doesn't mean you can be a tool. Yeah. Um, so what, and also what really matters here um, and in terms of the science of psychological flexibility is that, a bit like we were saying earlier, beh performance behaviour, which is what really matters, is what, what you do, performance behaviour is different depending on the context. So it doesn't, it's independent of personality there will be times when an introvert needs to speak up and at times when an extrovert needs to speak up. And, a time, and so for some people, the behaviour may be easier or harder depending on personality, sure, mm. but the performance behaviour hasn't actually changed. So the, the question is how do you act, how do you do what matters rather than um, obsess about um, – personality yeah it, it is a really interesting tool in terms of developing some self-awareness and and strengths and so it's not at the absence of it mm. that um I, yeah i guess the opportunity is to really um to use it carefully yeah what about um do you see value and i guess say you were managing a team um knowing what kind of like dis, dis profile for example they are so then you can then i guess manage them more effectively or get the most out of that individual yeah, I, 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 and I think awareness of what's going to be easy and what's going to be hard for a particular person is useful too, right? Mm. Um, the question I keep coming back to though is like what really matters to this person? You know, mm. if, we were to, if we were to, you know, smash broken glass and say, okay, you know, Jackson, Nige, let's walk over some broken glass, shoes off, let's do some motivational walking. Um, anyone want to have a go? You know. I'm going home. <laughs> Doesn't sound very motivational to me. <laughs> no, it's not going to fly, right? But if I say, okay, let's just change one one condition of that, which is on the other side of the glass is yeah, bring to mind the person who, or people who you most care about in the world mm. and they're in distress and um, they need your help. So you're saying that uh, like having a clear goal and understanding like an, with an individual – where they're at um, from a, you know, alignment to goal and what challenges they have, maybe personal or career-wise, trumps personality um, profiling or leveraging that. Yeah, what, what truly matters to them, right? Mm. Because, you know, the broken glass being the analogy for, you know, the it's a good analogy. Fe fear of failure, fear of embarrassment for speaking up, you know, fear of making a mistake, all that kind of stuff, which is so inevitably the stuff that gets in the way of actually behaving the way we want to behave. Almost never am I sitting down with someone to teach them what to do mm. everyone nearly and, and i guess this is the beauty of coaching right is that people typically know what they need to do there is no shortage of information in the world in how to be healthy no shortage mm. the real challenge is getting over and working with your own internal stories around um why you don't mm. and you, and so if you reconnect to motivation then people won't just be willing to 
endure the broken glass. They'll actually embrace it of what, in service of what truly matters to them. And you think of what humanity is capable of. It's extraordinary. <laughs> you know, it's the part that lights me up every day, which is we are just capable of such incredible, you know, feats or, you know, acts of service in, in the face of an insane adversity. And um, so how do we unlock that and how do we make that more of a daily, daily happening and intentional rather than accidental? And I think you can – if you really connect to what truly matters to you, you know, values, purpose and all that kind of stuff and spend the time in that space sort of uncovering and clarifying that, then you can genuinely do that. You can, and that sense of energy is often a really good sign um, as well. You know, people, oh, I've lost my mojo. Well, you have all of the answers to your mojo. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. I, I, I have no answers to your mojo, but I can help you uncover what yours looks like and how you can operate from that place. By asking in, questions and understanding. Yeah, yeah, so then you understand because I don't even need to know who you just brought to mind. That's irrelevant to me. Mm. All that matters is that you are clear on it. Yeah, right. And so it's, it's yeah, I, I, as you can tell, I get pretty fired up. Yeah, that's, that's good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what um, I wanted to get you in. Mm. So um, can I can ask a question in terms yeah. of technology, mm. like we're in a tech business Yeah, we here. are. Yep. How have you seen that? change behavior build high performance team like you know where you know it's, it's technology is a tool right but mm -hmm. you know it's obviously enhanced people's lives like what's your experience been you know in from talking about tech and everything you've just shared has been fantastic but what's the tech that can help drive that high performance yeah um I mean, Nige, you've been so instrumental to my tech adoption that it's incredible <laughs> um and I think back to you know, the, the time when we went fully to the cloud with you was when, you know, the catastrophe happened, right? Like Brisbane, Brisbane floods. Oh, yeah. And um, our building in West End was cut off. It was an island in the middle of West End for a little while there. And, you know, we suddenly realised that even with the backup power source, <laughs> it wasn't going to cut it. You know, we had two days offline or, or something while we waited for the waters to recede. And... Um, so that was our critical time to jump into the cloud. And you migrated us there, thanks, Nudge, um, <laughs> at the time. And so, look, I, I see tech is the enabler, right? It, it is an amplifier of what is already there. Um, a really common challenge that I see people facing is sort of the explosion or sort of proliferation of channels, comms channels. So something that I, th I have found is working really well recently with clients and leaders is like getting super clear on what channel cops what content. So if you think, if you go through your channels, okay, on email, what do you want to see? Phone calls, don't, don't ever email me with a problem, call me. Mm. You know, and, and this is so contextual again, it depends on the person, depends on the organisation, but clarifying purpose of channel means that Channels are super useful. You know, they're flexible, they're on your phone. Um, you can work from anywhere. You know, I, I spent a year over living in Switzerland in 2017 and right. operated, you know, perfectly fine back here into um, clients in Australia and had a ball and that flexibility was so enriching um, to my life and that's what I think tech enables when it's done well. The risk is that the lack of clarity means that it enables the confusion. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And so... 
that's where I see um, people almost um, getting going really native on tech as well. Like, okay, if we're going to be remote, then let's all be remote. Even if we're in the same room or just we're all going to roll in the same um, format. So, you know, we'll have three people here on laptops and, you know, umpteen around the world. But it's when you that hybrid is, is really challenging situation where you've got some people online, other people offline. And I think the other thing is to invest in the tech, but then also in really truly invest and understand what you're doing in person. So in a world of technology, the value of face-to-face goes through the roof. Um, but it requires design and intent. And really interestingly, you know, a massive multinational company um, had their leadership offsite, had a hundred of their top leaders globally fly in. And the number one message from the CEO was this is about connection. I want you to connect human to human because the rest of the time we're on tech. Mm. So again, like what is face to face for? What is that channel for? It's for connecting. It's for seeing each other as humans and reconnecting mm. to that. So then we're not just, we're not just trying to rep, like don't just try to replicate the human interaction online or vice versa. You know, make sure you're dedicating thought to what this tech actually enables for you. It would be my sort of caveat yeah, around right. it. Yeah. That makes sense. You definitely, um, you're right. You hit the nail on the head there in terms of the face-to-face time and the human interaction is more important now as well um, when everyone is remotely and you know, cloud and yada, yada, yada. So it's uh, good advice. I was going to ask you, apart from the cliche, you know, money and family and those kind of drivers, what keeps you motivated to continue to you know, work and innovate and drive forward your career? Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, look, for me, Jackson, it's impact. So how can I help people? You know, it, the way I define my own purpose, so I drink my own Kool-Aid on this stuff. Um, my purpose as it currently sits is to help people bring all of who they are to everything they do. Um, I have my set of values, so love, gratitude, humility, exploration, contribution. Um, you know, I have a BHAG, you know, to get to millions of people um, somehow and clearly that, you know, I'm going to need tech notch. <laughs> you know, you, you just don't get to scale of impact um, without that. Um, We've got a million followers on, on this, so perfect, right? <laughs> love it. Um, and then so the thing that really excites me is really just – staying on purpose, like making that contribution, um, being as, as much as helping others be all of who they are in as many moments of as many days as possible is, is living and breathing that for myself too. So mm. um, how do I bring those values to life as a father? How do I bring them to life as a husband? How do I bring them to life as a son, as a friend, as a business owner, as a coach, as a, you know, there are so many roles that we play in life and hats that we wear. Um, the other thing that really motivates me is uh, a Stoic reflection. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Stoicism, but there's one of the uh, one of the sort of I guess leading figures of Stoicism is a guy called Lucius Seneca, and he wrote an essay called "On the Shortness of Life." And so every day I have a um, I have a calculate. I found a website that will calculate um, how many days I've been alive. 
And so most days of the week, perhaps not every day, but most days of the week, I go and check that as a part of my daily practice. I go and check how many days I've been alive. You know, today I'm at like 15,584 or something. Mm. Um, and then that's really interesting to me because that means that if I think about software and tech in, in this context too, is that each day it's really just a proxy number to say I've, I've, I've released a new version today. And so how do I bring the best of what has served me in the past forward? How do I test and learn to see if there's anything that I need to debug? <laughs> and there's plenty, I can assure you. Um, and then how do I continue to carry that forward? And that really helps me to see it as an ongoing process. And then the flip side of that number is, of course, how many days left to live. And so, you know, if, you, if I take a quick calculation of 80 minus, you know, 80 times 365 minus that number, you know, I'm past halfway. That means I've got 13,000 X days to live and that drives me forward because mm. any way I cut it, I mean, obviously that's a statistical number, you know, living to 80 or what have you. Yeah. I may have more, I may have less. When my dad died, he was 66. Um, his father was 98. His mother was 93. Full expectation that he was going to be, you know, had another third of his life to go. And when he died, it rocked me because I thought, oh, geez, I might be two-thirds of the way there mm. so what am I doing why am I doing it and just the constant reminder that it's finite um, and one of the questions that I find really valuable particularly recently that I've been practicing is just this question of what if this is the last time so what is what if this is the last podcast interview I ever did how, how can I be here for it like fully here how can I engage and really try to be who I want to be in this moment, in this conversation with you guys? Um, how does that translate in terms of business as well? Like what do I need to do right now to drive the business the way I want to drive it, to you know, um, be the coach I want to be? But same deal with my kids. Um, what if this is the last time I get to put my girls to bed? You know, I have three daughters. What if this is the last time? Because, I mean, you know, we've – We've all experienced death in some form or another and putting a finite number on it, I've found, yeah, has been extremely motivating mm. just to just to remember that it is finite. That's, that's yeah. good advice and that would probably tie all the way back to like that self-awareness piece, right? When you wake mm. up in the morning, you see how many potential thousands of days you've got left. Yeah. Um, another thing that uh, it helps me in that space is that um, I think actually Elon Musk quotes this all the time. It's like even in thousands of years, everyone returns back to dust and no one knows any name. No one will know who Elon Musk is, right, in uh, 10,000 years. Yeah. So what we're doing here in, a, in Brisbane with a couple million population is, you know, futile. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's also what I find really liberating around that too is that it takes the pressure off, mm. you know. It, yes, we, we will return to dust, and so be it, and we will be forgotten and all that stuff, great. But what does that mean? What does that free me up to do? Yeah. And, and so it's, um, it's an interesting sort of tension point because it feels pessimistic, but ultimately the, the reflection for me is like this liberation of um, real engagement in the present and, and kind of, well, if I'm going to be dust, then why not have a crack? Yeah. Why not, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so – and what does a crack look like today? Because I don't know if today is the last one, you know. Um, so, hmm. yeah, so that's – there's a few of my drivers, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I really appreciate it. 
thanks, Toby, for coming in. You shared some really good insights around building a high-performing team, individual, and got a little bit uh, philosophical at the end there. So, but, uh, yeah. mate, that's awesome. Really appreciate some of the insights from, from your journey. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, yeah, thanks Jackson. So I, I met you when it was version 6,000. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're at version 15,000. I look forward to having you back at version 20,000. So I, I hope this version is still better than the old oh, one. Like, like a fine wine, Tobes. Yeah. Yeah, it's been fantastic, mate. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.